Our passage today comes from John 8, verse 31 to 59. Yet, I'm not going to cover all this. Uh, so there are parts at the end there from 48 to 59 that you're going to have to read and do yourself as homework. We're going to cover the first part that we read this morning, John 8, 31 to 47. Let me start by saying this. One of the main objections to Christianity, among many other things that people object of Christianity, one of the main ones is they say Christianity and other religion in general is the idea of being ruled over, being ruled over by someone or by a God or by an institution. So people object Christianity because they do not want to be ruled over by some sort of God or institution. Modern people especially hate the idea of being ruled over by being oppressed in a sense and being told you can't do this. Modern people don't like that. Modern people do not like to be told what they can or cannot do. Sounds like children, don't they? Right? Growing up, we don't like to be told what to do, what we can do, or what we can't do. We want instead to follow our hearts, we say. We want to follow our hearts. We want to pursue our own desires. We want to go out there and explore. So, Modern people see Christianity as repressive to their lives, to their lifestyle. They don't like it. They object that. So therefore, it's interesting to hear what Jesus says in our passage today. That's John 8, verse 31 to 32 says this. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and see what's the result here, and the truth will set you free. Now, that is quite the opposite is what people fear or object to Christianity, isn't it? Jesus say, if you are my true disciple, the truth will abide in you and the truth will set you free. But people say, well, I don't like Christianity, I don't like religion because I'm not free. I'm being repressed, I'm being told what I can do, what I cannot do. But Jesus say, no, you'll be set free. So that's quite an opposite there, you see. So irreligious people says this, I can't believe or I can't put my life or put my faith in Christianity on Jesus because I want to be free. That's the objection. That's what irreligious people say. But Jesus says, you will not be truly free until you become my true disciple. That's very interesting, isn't it? On the one hand, the world says, I want to be free, I cannot follow Jesus. But Jesus said, if you want to be free, you must follow me. Quite the opposite. So, in the Gospel of John, so far we, we've seen how Jesus taught us how to be, or what does it mean to be a true disciple of Jesus. Not a mere, as opposed to a mere follower of Jesus. Um, the we, we've seen the contrast between crowd that follows Jesus. Jesus make a, a big difference, a distinction between crowd that follow Jesus and true disciples. 
because only a few of them are his true disciples. Let's read, you know, turn back to John 2, chapter 2, verse 23, 25. It says this, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, in Jesus' name, when they saw the signs that he was doing, the miracles, the signs that Jesus performed. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So what he's saying here is, many believe in Jesus because they saw the miracles, the signs that Jesus performed. But Jesus said, they are not my true disciples. Jesus did not entrust himself to them. So Jesus make a distinction between those who believe in him because they saw the signs and true disciples. There's a big difference here between following him and being his disciples. Let's look at another passage that we've seen before, John 6. John chapter 6, verse 60 to 66 says this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Son of Man referring to himself, going up to heaven. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were, who, who those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So these followers, what happened is, when the things get hard, they leave him. They follow Jesus when they saw signs. They follow Jesus because they see there's benefits that they can gain from following Jesus. But when things get hard, when they get disappointed, they would leave him just as quickly. That's what happened. So, so we've seen the distinction that Jesus made about followers of Jesus and disciples, true disciples, not just any disciples. And then we see how people object to Jesus or Christianity because they say, I want, I want freedom. I, I cannot put myself in a position of authority that tells me what I can do or what I cannot do. So what we're going to look at today from this passage is this. What does Christianity say about freedom? So the first thing we're going to look at is slave to sin. The second thing is the key to freedom. And finally, the cost of freedom. Slave to sin, the key to freedom, the cost of freedom. Slave to sin, John 8, 30 to 33. John 8, 30 to 33. As he was saying these things, Jesus, many believe in him, believe in Jesus. So Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed him, okay? So he's saying these words to those, the Jews who heard him and believed him, okay? 
If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Notice what they answered him, the Jews who believed, supposedly believed in Jesus. They say, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Perhaps they forgot they were once enslaved by the Egyptians and God himself rescued them out of slavery. Perhaps they forgot about that. But yet they say proudly, we are offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved. How can you, Jesus, tell me that we will become free if we abide and listen to your word and abide in your word and I obey and we obey your word? How can you say that? Now, this is what they're saying. The people who supposedly believe in Jesus say to Jesus, we don't need you, Jesus, to set us free. We are more than capable of doing that ourselves. We are not enslaved. That's what they say. So these are religious people. So these are not, you know, Joe Bloke that you work with or, you know, in the office or whatever that do not believe in, in God. These are religious people. These are the Jews who believe in God. Perhaps today we could say these are the people who are going to church, who are, call themselves Christian and say, I am a believer. I, I follow Jesus. I'm a Christian. These are the same people who say, we don't need you to set us free. We are not enslaved. Now, let's just reflect about this statement. How many of us here anyway, if you are Christian, say about yourself that you are enslaved, that you need to be set free? If you're honest, perhaps not many of us would say, yeah, I'm, I'm enslaved. I need help of Jesus to set me free. So, not only them, the Jews who believe that they are not enslaved and not need to be set free, many of us feel the same way. We feel more than capable of helping ourselves. We feel like we are we're good. We don't need to be set free. There's nothing to be set free from. See, many more, see, the thing with Christianity is this. Modern people, especially if you grew up in a Western society like us here in Melbourne, Australia, we see Christianity, we can see Christianity as oppressive, as strict. There's so many things we cannot do, right? All the things, all the, all the sexual morality laws, laws about being generous and all those things. You know, we see that as being oppressive. Western society can see that as being oppressive. But on the other hand, if you come from an Eastern society, you see Christianity, you say, wow, Christianity is so free, so liberal. How can the women, you know, have the same status as the men? So in, in some society, especially in Eastern society, they, they, they view Christianity and the law and the teaching of Christianity is too radical. It's not too restrictive. In fact, they say it's too freeing. There's so much freedom. You can do all that. You see, what, why the difference of view here when it comes to the same Bible, the same God? Why, why do different societies view it differently? Because we always view Christianity or anything, truth or moralities from the view, from the standpoint of our culture that we grew up with. Christianity in one society can be seen as repressive, but in another can be seen as 
quite freeing. See, many of us here, I believe, are modern people. We are even postmodern. We live in, in a free society. We, a lot of us don't understand what oppression means. And we, we grew up in this culture of, I can do whatever I want to do. I am the captain of my soul, right? Kids being raised in that way, you can be whoever you want to be. Well, not really. I mean, if you're Asian, you want to grow more than six foot five, perhaps you can't be an NBA player, right? If you're five foot, it's really hard for you to be an NBA player basketball player professionally, right? There are limitations. So telling a kid growing up you can be whoever you want to be, it's a lie. There are certain things you can't do in your life. And, but we, we don't live in that culture. We live in a culture of, you know, you attend a course, you get a certificate of participation regardless how well you did. You may even come one out of the whole week of session, they give you a certificate for signing up. Kids who come first, kids who come last, they all get the same recognition. We tell everyone you can be whoever you want to be. We, we don't like to be told we cannot, right? So in this society, this is what freedom means. No one can tell me what I can or cannot do with my life. I am the captain of my soul. That's society that we live in. Perhaps you feel that way too about yourself. We believe that free. That is true freedom. That's what we believe. That's freedom. When you can be whoever you want to be, you can do whatever you want to do, you say that's freedom. But Christianity say that's not freedom, and that's not even love. With recent incident with my knee being injured from badminton, one of the, thing, one of the conversation that I have with my wife, Poppy, is that Poppy say, how can you ever think that you're going to go back and play again knowing what it can do to you? To me, that's not freedom. To her, that's love. On the one hand, I see, well, you can't tell me what I can or cannot do. To her, that's love. The fact that I tell you you shouldn't do it, that's love. So we believe in our society, I'm the captain of my soul, I can do whatever I want to do, that's freedom. But Jesus say, quite differently, Jesus say, that's enslavement. You don't believe me? Let's look at 34 and 38, John 8. That's exactly what Jesus say. The thing that we think is freedom, Jesus says, that's slavery. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father." Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What you do, Jesus said to the Jews, you may think that's freedom, that you live in freedom, but you're being enslaved without realizing it. 
And the consequences of, of slave is this. Well, not the consequences. Being a slave means this. You will not remain in the house of the master forever. It says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. Who remains in the house forever? The son. Huios, the Greek word, literally means the son that refers to Jesus. In the book of John, um, when the son refers to Christian, they call children of God using different word, Greek word. So, so even though your Bible may say the son in a lower case, that refers to Jesus. He said, slaves will not remain in the house, but the Son of God, Jesus, me, the Son of Man, remain in my Father's house forever. And then he continued on and saying, if I set you free, if the Son set you free, somehow if you read your English translation, the Son suddenly become capital. That's the same word in Greek. The Son refers to Jesus. He said, you need me to set you free. Even though you say, tell yourself, you cannot tell me what to do with my life, Jesus said, no, you do. No, you do. It's only if you abide in my words, you listen and obey what I say to you, you'll be free. That's what Jesus said. Now, anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, when we indulge our life with sin, we are enslaved by it. You thought it was freedom for a while, and you are being the captain of your soul, that you can do whatever you want. But whatever it is that you love doing, Jesus says, whatever it is that you love doing, more than loving Jesus, they have become your master. What is it in your life that you love doing more than you love Jesus? Is it badminton? A sport that you like? hobby? Is it your family, your career, your spouse, your children? What is it? Jesus said, if you love that more than me, that has become your master, and you have become the slave of that thing, whatever it is. That's what Jesus is saying. See, the, the, the truth is this. No one is self-rule. No one. No one is so independent that no one rules over them. Nobody. No one is completely independent. You may think you are. I'm free. I'm independent. No one tell me what to do. But the truth is, whatever thing that you love most tell you what to do. They have become your master. You rule by your desire, you see. You rule by your desire, by your ambition. And... I like what David Foster Wallace has said before. He says this, There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in some kind of God or not, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Whether you're Christian, whether you're not Christian, whether you believe in God or some kind of God or not, David Foster Wallace says, everybody worships. The choice is what you worship. That's the only choice we get. You don't get a choice to not worship. The choice you have is what to worship. Some of us worship our family. Others, our job, our career, our family. So without realizing it, we have been deceived. We thought like freedom means like I can do whatever I want to do. We have been deceived. We lied to. We believe that's freedom, but 
The truth is not. Jesus said, you've been enslaved. You've been lied to. Let's, let's look at verse 20, 43 to 44. John 8, 43 to 44. Why do you not understand what I say? Jesus says, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when you don't believe me, that in order to be truly free is to abide and obey me, you have given to the father's life, your father's life, that is the devil. That's what Jesus says. So we have been living and being deceived by the lie of the devil himself. When we believe that if I follow Jesus, I follow what he says, I'm not free. And the opposite is free. And that's a lie. Second point, the key then to freedom. What's the key to freedom then? Jesus said to live in the rebellion of his teaching is living in sin. It's slavery. If we live in rebellion to his teaching. Some of us are addicted to whatever that we love more than Jesus, to our quote-unquote sin, even to the point of destroying our life. We love it so much that we don't care. We so, you know, the thing with addiction is this. It's destroying our life and we still do it. That's addiction. It's not good for us and yet we still do it. And then you can come, perhaps you say to me, no, no way. Hang on a second. If I know it is destroying my life, I will not do it. Really? Is that true? If you know that thing is destroying your life, you won't do it? Jesus say, addiction, lies, you will continue to do so. And see, <clears throat> let me give us an example. Someone who's addicted to relationship, for example, if relationship is, a, is, is their thing, is their idol, even when they are in an abusive relationship, they will stick with it. Even if it's in abuse, if, they, if relationship is their thing, even when they are in an abusive relationship, they will, they will persist. They, they say, perhaps she would say this. Let's say the guy who is the abusive one. She would say, well, he needs me. I cannot leave him. You know, that's not true. The truth is this. When, when, when someone is so addicted to relationship and stick around in that abusive relationship, it's not because he needs her. It's because she needs him. It's because she's addicted to it. Now, you may think she's dumb in this example. There are many, many stories like this, right? You may think she's dumb. You, if, you're, if you're a woman, you say, man, if I'm her, I would have just walk out. Like, you know, she's dumb. How can she stay in an abusive relationship? I'm, I, I will never be like that. I will never let whatever it is that I love destroying my life. I will not let that happen. Really? Well, maybe not for, for, uh, for a relationship. How about for your career? How about for your career, for your success, for the wealth, for your security, for a good retirement. 
Would you do it for that? You say, no. Well, the truth is, that's not true. Many of us in the society that we grew up with has career and wealth, comfort as their idol, as their God. They work so hard. They work Monday to Friday. They work at night. They work Saturday and Sunday. They work so hard. They let the company, the employer, abuse them. And what they do? They say, I need this. Or they spiritualize it. The company needs me. They leave. They say, enough is enough. No. Why not? Why do they let their career, their joy, destroying their health and their life? Because they're addicted to it, because they worship success, because they love to be successful. They love the money they have in the bank. They love when the boss gives them bonus. You may say, I will leave abusive relationship, but you will not leave abusive work. Because what you love is different. See, when it comes to money, the only way to have enough when it comes to money and wealth and success, the only way to have enough is not to have more, but to give it away. You can only get to the point that you say, I'm content. It's not by having more. It's actually by having less. By releasing the grip of that thing in your life, you think you may have a grip of your career, but no, it's the career that has a grip in your life, on your life. Same with relationships, same with anything. You think you have a grip and have a control of it, that you are the master of it. But the truth is, it is that very thing that has a grip on your life, that master over your life. Perhaps that's not your issue either. Perhaps your issue is something else. You crave for people to like you, to approve of your life. Perhaps kids, if you're Asian, this is a big thing for Asians. You want your parents to approve of you. You don't care what other people think, but you want to do well for your parents. I can't speak of everyone, but being, being Asian myself, I can say this is very common in Asian family. They want the approval of their parents. They seek that. And what happened when, when that happened is this. You have let your parents rule over your life. You have let their approval be the master of your life. You are happy for only as long as they approve of you. But you'll be miserable when they don't approve you. You're not the master. You're not in control. You've let yourself a slave to that person, whatever that person, whoever that person is. So everyone has a master. That's my point. Everyone has a master, even though you think you are free. You think you can live whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Everyone has a master. Everyone worships someone or something even if that someone or something is yourself. Let me explain. Some of us has been enslaved by our own perfection, by our own beauty, by our own look, for example. Young people especially. You know, if you're young, you're still handsome and beautiful, let me tell you, it's not going to get better. That's the bad news, right? The, the sooner you can come to grip with that, there's, a, you know, there's this bell curve. You're going to hit a, a peak 
and then going to go downhill onwards. There's a huge industry that catered for that downward trend, right? South Korea, for example, and it's a big industry to make people delay that, you know, that downhill trend of degrading physical beauty. Some people are so enslaved by it that they cannot bear to look at themselves in even one wrinkle. You know what, with beauty, one day, you will not be beautiful anymore, physically. Your beauty, you know, some man, for example, you want to look fit, you want a six-pack. Come on, when, when you're 50, you'll be whole-packed. Your beauty one day will disappear, and if that's your idol, if that's what you crave for, right, it will eat you alive. One day you'll feel ugly, and what happened then? See, there will come a time, there's come to a point where you can't do anything about it anymore, regardless how much Botox you get, how much. See, there, there are people, old people in Hollywood that I've seen, like, they look ridiculous because they, they do so many things on their face, God knows what. They don't look pretty, uh, they don't look young, they look artificial, You'll come to a point where there's nothing you can do about it anymore. Then what? You see, how can we set ourselves free? Truly free? Well, Jesus give us an answer. Let's look at that. 31, 32. We read this a couple of times now. But if we're not slowing down, we might miss this. So let's read it again. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We might, might have even memorized this but still missed it. What did Jesus say? That's the key to being free. That we have been deceived and freedom is not to go all out of our own desire or heart's desire. That's not freedom, that's what Jesus said. To do whatever we want to do, to do whatever you want to do, that's not freedom. Freedom isn't doing whatever we want to do. If we do that, our lives will be destroyed. The key, Jesus said, to freedom is obedience, not rebellion. When we think freedom means I'm going to rebel, the teachers say, A, I'm going to do B. That's freedom. Jesus said, No, when you obey, when you abide, that's freedom. If you want real freedom, Jesus said, that, that, that does not destroy your life, that does not eat you alive, abide in my word and let me be your master. That's what Jesus said. Quite the opposite of what many of us think freedom is. Freedom isn't about not having a master. Freedom is not about being the captain of your own soul. That's not freedom. It's not about not having a master, but having the right master. That's what true freedom is. Someone once said, identity is not so much about asking who I am or who am I, but asking whose am I? Whose are you? It's not about not having a master, but having the right master. So if freedom isn't doing whatever we want to do, then what? Well, Jesus said freedom only comes by living in accordance 
to how you have been designed. By being obedient, by living according to how you've been designed, that's freedom. Not do whatever you want to do. That's not freedom. That's enslavement. We know that now. Um, let me give you a story, an illustration. Perhaps you heard this many times before, but this is a perfect illustration, perfect story. You know, remember a story of a fish out of water? So this fish, the story of a fish in a pond. So one day, this fish in a pond says, enough of this crappy pond and the water. I had enough of this. I want to live however I want. No one can tell me that I have to live in this pond. So he jumped off the pond onto the dry land. Then what happened? Well, the heat of the sun slowly fried the fish. And he died a slow death. The fish thing, the pond is restricting him. He said, I want freedom. I don't, I don't want this fish pond anymore. I want to live however I want. But Jesus said, freedom is living according to how you have been designed. How each of us has been designed by God. That's not restriction. That's not oppression. That's love. That's true freedom. So how have we been designed? We've been designed to be generous. We've been designed to be selfless. So when we want a tight grip on things and instead of being generous, you know what happened? We've been enslaved by it. When we become selfish instead of selfless, thinking about ourselves, our own success, our own well-being, we're destroying our lives. Because God has not designed us to be tight-fisted and selfless, selfish, but to be generous and to be selfless. So the cost of freedom. Number three, John 8, 42 says this, and Jesus said to them, if God were your father, because Jesus said when you're enslaved by sin, the devil is your father. But Jesus said this now, if God were your father, you would love me. You would love me for I came from God and I am here. Notice that? I came from God and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So the question is not who am I, but whose am I? So my question to all of us today is whose are you? Jesus said, if God were your father, is God your father? So whose are you? If you are God's, then you would love Jesus. You would love his word. You would treasure his teaching. You don't see that as a restriction. What, you, you're telling me I can't do that? You don't. You would love it. Because you know that's love. That's freedom. You would abide, abide in his word. You will love obedience. Obedience to God's word, to Jesus' word, becomes a delight, not a duty. Jesus say, I came from God and I am here. That's interesting. Let's, let's pause for a moment and read that again. What did Jesus say? I came from God and I am here. Yes, the cost that we must pay for our freedom is to obey Jesus and to abide, to abide in his word. That's the cost of our freedom, right? We get that. But think about it. How is that even possible that our obedience or abiding in God's word, in Jesus' word, 
gives us freedom. How is that even possible? You know, it is made possible, it can be possible, and it has been made possible is because of what Jesus said. I came from God, and I'm here. This is why he said, when he said this, I came from God, and I'm here. If I have, if I have not come, in, if I did not come from God, from heaven, you can do whatever you want to do, you can believe in whatever you want to believe, and you will never be free. The only reason you can be free is because I came from God, and I'm now here. And by believing in me, only by believing in me and abiding in my words, being obedient to what I'm teaching you, you can be free. If Jesus hasn't come, we will never have true freedom in this life. Never, ever. We will always be enslaved by our own desire, whatever that is, family, relationship, wealth, career, approval of others, to be accepted, to be loved. Jesus said, if you have not come, if I'm not here, you will always be enslaved. Another thing that Jesus said that we must not miss is this, the same verse. It says, I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Jesus said, I did not come of my own accord, but the Father sent me here, and now I'm here. Do you know what it means? That the cause of our freedom is not so much about our obedience, but it's about Jesus' obedience to the Father. That is the true cause of our freedom. We may think the cause of our freedom is to obey Jesus, to come to church, to be generous, but Jesus said the true cause that has been paid to pay for your freedom is Jesus' obedience to the Father. And we know the price that Jesus has to pay for your, for your freedom and my freedom. You know the cost of Jesus' obedience to the Father? That cost, that price that He paid brought Him to the cross. Your freedom and my freedom is not cheap. It's blood-bought. It's a blood-bought freedom. Not any blood, not a blood of an animal. It's the blood of the Son of God who came down from heaven. He said, if you want to truly live freely, abide in me, believe me, obey me. It's only then you can have true freedom. When you see that your obedience to God is not duty, but delight. When you're able to see that your freedom is blood-bought, it's only then you can see that obedience to Jesus is a delight. It's a joy, not of duty. It's actually an honor, not a punishment. We may think it's restricting and it's a punishment, but Jesus say, when you truly see how your freedom has been purchased, then you understand that your freedom is bought and then you can live in delight of obedience to me. So never see that being obedient to God and His Word is a duty and it's hard work. We should start seeing this as an honor, as a privilege, as a delight for what Christ has done to buy your freedom and my freedom. Let us pray.